In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart App is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are, even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh. That is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, anytime you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six months free of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. I've seen all good people turn their heads each day, so satisfied I'm on my way. There are many words that can be used to describe singer-songwriter John Anderson. Cautious is not one of them. Born in England in 1944, he began singing on his brother's daily route as a milkman before falling in love with rock and roll. Adventurous, scrappy, and spiritual, he formed an instant bond with bassist Chris Squire in 1968 and... After a short stint with another band, the two formed Yes. Like Anderson himself, their music was otherworldly, bucking convention in both structure and sound. Their songs were a dynamic mix of jazz and rock that could last for as long as 20 minutes, and their concerts sold out stadiums worldwide. By the 1980s, the band had produced more than 11 critically acclaimed albums. Their music ushered in what's known today as progressive rock, paving the way for bands like Radiohead. And the English native is still testing the boundaries of music just like he did as a kid. You know, I started singing when I was at school in the choir and I was told to shut up. Anderson, not so loud, and I, I kind of calmed down a bit because I used to love shouting and singing, you know, choir, you know, they do that. And then me and my brother, Tony, we used to sing all the Everly Brothers songs, that, and I was the high harmony. And I just loved singing, and then we started a band called The Warriors in 63, and in April 63, my brother had a motorbike, and uh, he, he drove us, me and him, went to Southport, which is just north of Liverpool, to see this band called The Beatles. <laughs> and they just released Love Me Do, 63 April. And from then on, I want to be Paul McCartney, of course. And uh, he started singing and, in a band. And basically, when you start off with a band, you have to sing all different kind of songs, from Joe Tex to Nina Simone songs. Covers. Covers, you know. And your voice, you're singing it. I actually uh, remember... <laughs> Remember, I used to sing Goldfinger. It was a big hit in England by uh, Shirley Bassey. It was sure. from Wales. 
<laughs> and the review was, we found the Shirley Bassey of rock and roll. <laughs> That's going to be our tweet. Freak me out. Listen to the, uh, my interview with the Shirley Bassey of rock and roll. And uh, I just kept singing and enjoying singing and went through the 60s with the band and then went to London, eventually meeting up with Chris. And I knew that I could sing and I was very interested in songwriting. I'd never written any songs. I'd maybe written one or two terrible songs. But with Chris, I could sort of sit there and just uh, work, work ideas out with him. And uh, singing with uh, Yes, when it first started, I didn't move. I was very still on stage and uh, stoned, <laughs> you right. know, of course. And uh, just happy doing it. Didn't realize until I recorded that I had such a bad voice. <laughs> well, why do you say that? <laughs> well, you start listening to yourself for the first time through the speakers and everything. When you're recording, everything yeah, changes. Yeah, recording the first album, you know, and I think, oh my gosh, it's sort of... Pretty boring. <laughs> but that's interesting for people who don't know that when you're doing club work and you're performing live. Well, you think you're happening. Yeah, yeah, everybody's so jumping noise. up and down, but they're all drunk, so what do so, they know? You, yeah. mean, you, you sound great. Yeah. Then. And then you get into a studio and things change. And what I'm also curious about is when you're singing covers and you're a very signature voice, which pitches high, is, is singing these other songs, where does that music come from, which is so unique? You know, we weren't from the same town, the band itself. It was from different towns in England. Normally, like the Hollies, the Beatles, all the bands, the, the Animals, they came from Newcastle. The Hollies were from uh, Manchester. The Beatles from Liverpool. Everybody, little tight group of friends, you know. Where we weren't. We were in London and Bill Bruford was from uh, Seven Oaks down the road. He, he, was, he, he actually, he left the band after a month because he wanted to go. Uh, his, his parents said he had to be a lawyer. So we've been rehearsing as a band for a month, and Bill said, I'm leaving. I said, wait a minute, we've just started. <laughs> so the strange story was that uh, Bill went to Leeds University, and two months later, we played there. And he sat, he stood in the, in the audience looking sort of eyes, eyes at the band, thinking, this is really a great band. What am I doing here at university? And within two weeks, he was back in the band. But the idea is that... Um, you know, you start, when I met Chris, it was like, uh, I've got to learn about writing songs. So I started playing the guitar. You, you, you had not been writing songs? No, no. You didn't know how to read music? No, no. The great thing was, because um, both Tony Kay in the early days, they were very interested in what I had to say. And uh, so I... I just had, a, you know, all these ideas, musical ideas. I'd say, okay, uh, some somebody, I think... It was Peter Banks, he was playing on his guitar, just messing around. You know, I said, that's it, we're going to do America. <laughs> so we did a version of America that day. From West Side Story. West Side Story. Bernstein. Can't beat it. Right. You know, and... Uh, Very popular back yeah, then. Yeah, and you take it on stage and it, it gets the audience going, you know. So in those early days, it was like, uh, well, what should we do next, John? Um... Well, I've got this idea. I really like Stravinsky, you know, sort of thing, you know. And uh, I'd start coming up with ideas on the guitar that, you know, Peter Banks would say, you can't play that chord. 
And I say, well, I just did, and it sounds pretty good. <laughs> Whatever, you know. So you as a non-guitar player yeah, was, were willing to take risks that the, that the studied guitar players were saying to you, you can't do that. Yeah, because, like, you know, it's just one of those things. You do it, and then you start realizing, you go, you go home and start trying other ideas. How long did it take you to learn the, to teach yourself the guitar? I'm still learning. It's true. <laughs> it's just an ongoing, and I don't know what I'm playing. You know, I'm playing chords the other day. I'm going, oh, this is a beautiful chord. I, I wish I knew what it was, but it sounds really good. I wish I could remember that. I, I do. I, I tape everything <clears throat> and sure. re-remember. In fact, you start doing music that you wrote maybe five, ten years ago. You find a cassette and go, oh, yeah, I never finished that. I'll try that now. You know, Maybe I wasn't ready then. Now I am, you know. And uh, so in a leap, we got Steve Howe in the band, which was like, oh, man, it was amazing because this guy could play classical music on guitar as well as Stravinsky great, yeah right. great rock and roll you know and we started writing songs together and the more how did, how did that work well generally um, I'd listen to what they were doing in rehearsal making a lot of noise in the studio yeah, we were recording yeah. and I'd hear Steve playing something and I'd quickly record it and then We'd just stop and I said, listen, you played this line. What is that? And he said, I don't know. I, I was just jamming. I said, no, can you play it again? And he, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then we're going to the... And then we'll keep going there. Bring it up again. Da, da. No new key, modulate. You know? yeah. So my, my position in the band was waving my hands around a lot. <clears throat> And hoping they would understand what was happening. You're conducting. Yeah. And then, you know, as, as time moved along, Rick Wakeman came into the band, and it was, like, so incredible. Who was the most accomplished musically in terms of reading music, writing music? Rick, who, Rick was the one who wrote music. Yeah, yeah ridiculous. And the neat thing was that you were saying why the music came is because Bill Bruford was a jazz player, jazz rock. And... Uh, him and Chris together, you know, those early tapes, those early recordings are just fantastic, the BBC recordings. And you hear him and Chris rocking away, you know, but it's slightly different than just... There's something going on with his, with his shoulders, Bill. You know, he's, he's, he's going round, you know. And so when, when we sort of put together a song, I'd feel like... I think there's something else to happen. You know, maybe Bill and Chris just do a groove thing, you know, and then we'll, Steve, if you can do like, get your slide guitar out. And it's, you know, some What's the first song you record? Probably Yesterday and Today. I heard it the other day. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Is it really? Well, it's, you know, we, the album didn't do well. Second right. album just about didn't do well either. And the third album, we all went to, uh, I wanted to get away from London. So I said, why don't we get a farm down in Devon? You know, so we rented a farm in Devon, a farmhouse, and got all the equipment there and stayed there for a month, six weeks. And that's when... Uh, Yours is no disgrace came and fri eventually fragile, but it was like <clears throat> it's very important to sort of isolate ourselves away from the, the the getting to rehearsals in a big city can take forever, you know. So living together and being together sort of created a harmony. And one of the things I've learned is that har with, with harmony, and you know this in acting, if you have perfect harmony, anything can happen. Yeah, it's incredible. If you can get there, it's beautiful. Yeah, it feels so good too. Yeah. And it's rare. It's, it's not something that happens all the time. Here's like a clue to why I think yes worked in, in so many ways. It's that 
up until then, the bands would go on stage, sing a song, the solo guitar player would solo, and then a, and a chorus again, and then a solo, and finished. And I just didn't like that, because you never know how good you're going to be as a solo guitar player if you've had too many drinks, you know. So you're great one night, and then the next night, what the hell was he thinking, you know. Yeah. So I said to Steve, especially Steve, he was very willing to understand that if you create a solo in rehearsal, record it, learn it, then your solo will always be the same. And then you can bounce and dance around it. And the same with everybody who played in the band. You know, I'd say, let's get it, I called it structuring. Structure the music. Make sure you know exactly what you're going to play. And the, the interesting thing is Chris, bless him, was the main guy who stuck to that. He was a beautiful bass player. Listen to his bass work. Incredible. And generally, um, when you learn the art of the structure, you take that on stage and it can be 11 minutes long, 10 minutes long. You can stretch it a couple of minutes, but take for granted what you've already created and know and that it works. Stick with it. Yeah. But you listen to your music. I mean, I, I, mean I, I, I close my eyes and then I roll your music in my head and it's so complicated compared to everything else that was coming. I mean, there was um, the Beatles deep in their true, work. True, And you listen to your music, you talk about yours is no disgrace and it's like all those fractures and all that dun 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 And it's so dramatic. Oh, yeah. It's these surges. It's like water splashing against a seawall. It's so violent sometimes. Whose concept was this of music? Who said this is what we're going to do what were you smoking <laughs> i was smoking a lot of stuff man you know no I, I i agree in some ways it's like you create this music and, and you go on stage and, and perform it and and it takes over it's as though we've created something that's a little bit unique and we've got to make sure it's good i remember first time we performed uh, close to the edge it seemed like about an hour <laughs> it's, it's only 18 minutes exactly I was going to say it's like about 18 hour, minutes because the audience was so quiet what's going on what's going on Yeah. and it was at a gig with, you know Elton John was top of the bill my Vishnu Orchestra and us and we did close the edge it was like you could hear the crickets so it's really? saying enough already but, but when you do that is it hard to replicate it no you'd go out there or it wasn't hard to replicate no, it no because you know what you've got to do it took a month for it to kick in so by the time we came to tour America with close to the edge as a song, we'd already played it 20 times. But did you need sheet music on stage no, to no, play no, it? No, 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 How does the, the band remember 18 minutes of all those changes? I don't know. They were just into it. Well, I think, you know, musicians in the last, you know, 50 years have concentrated on this new exercise of a brain sort of module. Mm -hmm. is, you know, I, I'm always uh, amazed, you know, Trevor Raymond, our, our guitar player, he can do scores. And, and you can hear all the music, just like uh, Amadeus. You know, it's mm -hmm. like it freaks me out because I'd love to be. He's a to savant do that. that way. Oh yeah. When you would perform live, was there a process you had about your voice? Was there some kind of uh, technique you had in terms of you didn't smoke and you didn't eat certain kinds of food? You know, we went vegetarian very early on, and we, you know, before there were any vegetarian restaurants in America, right. so we'd we'd find one in New York maybe, and one in Boston, and one in Seattle, or something like that. Right. And we kind of restricted ourselves from doing the norm, which is just, you know, going for the burgers and stuff. I, I, I used to on stage and say, you should all stop eating McDonald's. Right. 
So for you, the, what you didn't feel, because your, your, your voice is so, I mean, it really sounds like an instrument. I'm not just saying this. Yeah. There was no special thing you had to do. No. You just blew it out and it was there yeah. in your pocket every time you needed it. I, I just felt very blessed that I could sing. And I was actually going through this incredible journey. You know, it was like not many people get the chance to be successful in their work, you know. What's your first big date? We all lived in this little house. We all had a different floor of the house. Uh, Peter Banks lived in Barnet, which is North London. I got a phone call from a friend. He said, can you do a show tonight at uh, Speakeasy? Most famous club in town, yeah. Yeah, what time are we going to be there? 10 o'clock, why? Because you've got to be there, man, okay. So I called Peter, come on, we've got to go and do a gig, get everything to get the drums together, get in the van, come on, let's go. So we went to the Speakeasy and we started setting up and then we found out the reason we were there is because Sly and the Family Stone had got stopped in uh, New Jersey and he couldn't get on the plane. Whatever, for whatever right. reason, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I, I was working at that time in a bar above the Marquee Club, a very famous club in London. So I kept bumping into Keith Emerson because he was playing in Nice, and I kept I actually bumped into two or three other Pete Townsend and that kind of thing. I never said hello. Just, <laughs> and uh, so there we were setting up microphones, and they start walking in, you know. There's Keith. Hi, Keith. Oh, John, what are you doing? I said, we're, put, we're doing a show. What does it look like, you know? Well, what's happened to Sly? He says, here. And I started passing the joint around. I said, have a smoke. Calm down. So by the time we went on, everybody was happily drunk and stoned or whatever. And there's, I think, uh, there was, I think Paul McCartney was there. I'm not sure. But there's one or two. There's a lot of very famous people there. And we put on the show of our life, you know. Yeah. We'd only been together for two months. They came expecting Sly and you came yeah. out. And you won them over. We did it. Come on, guys. What the rock and roll, you know. Twist and shout. <laughs> and you came off the stage and? Yeah. Well, the manager of the club said, I want to manage you. And within a month, he got us a gig opening for the Cream Farewell concert. So we opened it. and Rory, Rory Gallagher at the Albert Hall. So Rory Gallagher was on second and the Cream came on at the end. It was like, oh, God. You know, that, the funny thing, going back to Bill Bruford was in Leeds University and we found out we were going to play the, the, this gig at uh, the Albert Hall. So I said, Bill, you want to rejoin the band? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in two weeks we're playing at the Albert Hall. Be there. And he was. Life is like strange, isn't it? And then when, with the recording contract was with who? You signed oh, with Oh, that who? was silly. I'm Ertigan. God bless him. And he found you where? In London. He came to see us. We did a, a lunchtime Half an hour for him. Oh, he had you almost like audition for Audition, him. that's right. And, and, and what year was this? 68. Right. Early 69, maybe. Our manager at that time was the speakeasy manager. Sweetest guy in the world, but he just, you know, he enjoyed a drink. And uh, he was drunk. <laughs> it was one o'clock in the afternoon, you know. And so we, we did our little sort of uh, audition. And uh, I thought, I've got to go to the toilet. So I went to the toilet and Roy comes in, stands next to me, we're having a pee, you know. And he says, I'm going to get this bastard, this American bastard. I'm going to make sure you've got the best contract ever, ever in the world. And at that moment, the toilet flushed. <laughs> and he's in the other store. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, he get you, did he get you the best contract from this American bastard? He signed us up for <laughs> for 10 years. He signed you for 10 years. <laughs> like two points, you know. Oh, God. Um, it was very cool because... You know, the second album didn't do too well. The third album was the Yes album, was okay. It was fragile. 
Then fourth album was Fragile. But, 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 but when you signed with Erdogan, you had not been recording for anybody else. No. This was the beginning of your recording True. contract. So you do album number one, meh. You do album number two, meh. Number three, maybe. And then hey, four hits. Four hits. Well, the thing was, Roundabout was eight minutes long. That's, it was a stage song, you sure. know, the idea. I think one of the things I've always been interested in is putting on a show. Uh, probably comes from my dad, because he, he was a showman in the, in the army here in time. What did he do? All I can remember, I was in a stroller, and he was on stage in a kilt. He's Scottish. He was on stage with a, in a kilt and a, and a Hitler mustache. No. Telling jokes. And I think he played the harmonica. He was a Scottish Nazi yes. harmonica player. Man, that's, I'm sorry I missed Can't that. wrong there. Were you close with him? Yeah, sort of. He got, very, he got very ill very early on in his life. He died when he was how old? 54. And you were how old? He got me there at 24. My dad died when I was 26. Yeah. My dad died young. Yeah. He was 55 too. I was able to see him at the end, give him a good hug and say thanks. Are either of your siblings musical? Oh, gosh, yeah. My brother Tony, because we started off as the... The Everly Brothers of Accrington. <laughs> so he's a performer? No, he's a, he's a preacher, actually, oh, and he sings... So he's a performer? God songs, yes, right, of right, course right. he is. I'm curious about, for people who you know, don't completely understand this, like myself, you do an album, Erdogan signs you, and the first album doesn't work, and the second album doesn't work, and the third album, maybe they're all growing, and he sees something, because how do you get to do the eight-minute roundabout is on Fragile, right, the fourth yeah. album? So when you say to Erdogan, we're going to do an eight-minute piece, right. does he sit you down and go, fellas, fellas, fellas? No, he sent you haven't earned the right to do an eight-minute no, piece. No, he sent somebody in, I remember it very vividly. It was, um, gosh, I can't remember his name, a very famous uh, producer came to London, and we're, we're doing... Um, do, 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 do. And, and the, the guy's there, sitting there and saying, why don't you put a funky bass in there? I said, no, it's supposed to go... And that's what it is. It's your move, actually, it was. Yeah, of course. Your move. And he said... Yeah. No. Smash some, why don't no. you smash your guitar on stage at the beginning of that one? Yeah. No, we just didn't do it. We just said, I said, I'm sorry, um, I like you very much, but I, I don't want it to be that way. Is Roundabout the first hit? Yeah, because somebody got some scissors out and didn't tell us. I know. Was it in your contract that they could do that? Of course. <laughs> they could They could. Yeah, our firstborn. <laughs> right, right. So, so they cut Roundabout from what to what? Well, they just took out the whole middle section. So it goes from the end of the sec third verse or third chorus, second chorus, whatever, straight into the solo. And we were driving around Pittsburgh uh, to a gig, and it would turn on the radio, and it's roundabout. We said, roundabout's on, our, on, the, on, the, on the radio. We couldn't believe it. And then it went straight into the solo. <laughs> yeah. We went, Your what the hell? We'll charge the view. I mean, I, I mean, I know I'm kind of getting carried away here with you because I'm so excited <laughs> I'm actually talking to you. But, you know, Yes Songs is really one of the greatest live albums ever. Mm. I mean, if, you, if you're if you a Yes fan right. and you dig that music, you guys just crushed it. You right. know, did you, feel, did you know that when you recorded Not that? No, really. No, I, I just knew we were, we were sort of getting into the pocket. What I learned later, the pocket is when it just happens and music takes over. And that was one of those shows. I think we did about four in a row and we recorded one of them. And uh, I don't know, I... I, I Going back to George Martin, you know, I'd listen to what he did with four tracks and wonder why we're not as something. When, when, when you hear us playing live, what, what's, what's wrong? 
I've always been like that. I'm, I'm terrible. Critical, very self-critical. Yeah. In, in, in a good Did way. you drive the other band members crazy yeah. with your self-criticism? Yeah. Right. They called me Napoleon. They did? Yes, on the quiet. Do you agree that a band needs an external source of management in order to really function, or did you kind of function as a manager of your own well, we band? Well, stopped, we stopped using a producer after the third album, so we were producing ourselves with a very good engineer called Eddie Offord, who was brilliant. How did that work for you with self-producing? Brilliant. You think so? There's a great photograph of everybody on the, <laughs> on the, on the <laughs> levers. <laughs> You've even got their own sets. Uh, yes. <laughs> I no. think we should do this. Yeah. And it's just the idea of uh, have, trusting. You know, trust is everything in music. You've got to trust everybody to want the same thing, even though no, we're not quite sure what it is yet. But did you feel you were in charge? Uh, yeah. Well, I wasn't. In, I, I, I used to say to, to Chris, because Chris always used to look at me and say, I just want to make you happy, John. I said, yeah, I, I'm not trying to boss everybody around. I just want to make it work. Right. And somebody's got to come up. If you come up Someone with ideas. Someone has to decide. If, somebody, if you come up with ideas, I'll follow it through. But. It tends to happen. Somebody tends to be more of an idea person. Right. And I, I was Jews. into that, you know, like with reading Herman Hess and thinking, I really want to do something a little bit more experimental and uh, long form. Steve, come here, man. Can you play some chords like this? And, and he'd play them and I'd say, okay. And he'd say, I've got this, I've got this thing. It goes close to the edge, round by the corner. And I'd sing... Down at the end, round by the river, modulate, seasons will pass you by. I'm going to go, I get a chord, chords, chords. I need some chords there, you know, and Steve will to be... To hear you talk it through, you know, <laughs> and then when you listen to the music, it's like something in a church. Yeah, true. And, it's just, you know, it's, it's like subconsciously, I'd be chords, and it played perfect chords, and I said, that's it, record it. Next part. Was, did you interact with Wakeman the same way? Did he go with you? It All took right. a while with Rick because Rick was um, very fast at just coming up with stuff. I didn't really... Now and again, I'd, I'd, I'd hear something. As, Rick, you just played something. I need that, please. And he'd say, what is this one? Oh, yeah, I need that. Whatever it was. And, you know, you, you go through these emotions in, in, in the studio of, of really listening to everybody making sure that they are in a good place to perform well you know it's, it's part of the routine of being buddies musical brothers if you like you know I see the coldness in the night and watch the hills roll out of sight I learn in every single day inside Coming up, John Anderson explains why Paul McCartney was his inspiration for taking drugs. While Yes was rocking the UK, the self-described cussing Christian behind Grand Funk Railroad was lighting up America. The, the word from the Atlanta Pop Festival, you know, we opened uh, 
noon the first day. They liked us so well, they moved us to 7 o'clock the second day. And then the third day, we were on at 11 o'clock <laughs> under the lights. They're the, they're the people that they're waiting for now. <laughs> yeah. To hear more about Mark Farner's story, go to heresthething.org. Hi, I'm Alec Baldwin. Don't you think it's cool to care? Carrie Yuma knows fast fashion's not sustainable and decided to spin that conscious mindset to create high-quality, low-impact sneakers. Their best-selling Akka style is the perfect, durable sneaker for dressing up or down, pairing a fresh look with broken-in level comfort. Akka is made with organic cotton canvas and ethically sourced rubber, and every pair comes with Karayuma's signature cork and Mamona oil insoles. Akka's already found its way into my summer shoe rotation. Find your pair and choose from a range of bold and beautiful colors. Right now, there's 15% off at C-A-R-I-U-M-A dot com slash Alec. With how much we rely on our devices, it's easy to forget about the hardware we're born with. Take ears. Like fingerprints, your ears are totally unique. Too bad your earbuds aren't. Unless you've got Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds. Ultimate Ears Fits offer premium sound and all-day comfort. Their groundbreaking lifeform technology guarantees a perfect fit in only 60 seconds. Just put in the earbuds, connect to the app, and watch as the purple LEDs form the earbuds to your unique shape. With 8 hours of continuous playback on a single charge and up to 20 hours with the charging case, Ultimate Ears Fits are the perfect choice for listening to your favorite music and podcast all day long without pain or discomfort. For a limited time, get 15% off above the current offer of your pair of Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Earbuds at ue.com slash fits. Just use promo code FITS at checkout. That's 15% off the current offer with promo code FITS at ue.com slash fits. Bits. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Nicknamed Napoleon, English singer-songwriter John Anderson constantly pushed his bandmates to experiment further. Considering that Yes sold more than 50 million albums in his time with them, it worked. But although Anderson's adventurous spirit played a role in propelling them forward, there were other factors too, namely competition. We did Close to the Edge, and if there was ever a rival band that I kind of watched and listened to was uh, a band called King Crimson. Really? Because I'd heard about them, and uh, me and Chris went to see them at the Speakeasy. This is like 1970, I think, maybe late 69. And uh, they performed their whole first album, and it was, it was just so incredibly good. They performed it, vocals, it was in the court of the Crimson King. And I looked at Chris and said, we've got to practice more, guys. <laughs> it's terrible. You're very competitive. I went, <laughs> So we did. imploded. I know. Then we went to uh, Close to the Edge, and I thought we'd open this door. Musically speaking, we'd found this ism. It's a yesism. It's something that every note is known to the band. Yeah. We know every ink. You're there, you're Everything. there. And, and to perform it was, was going to be amazing. And then Bill said, I'm leaving the band about two weeks after we finished it. Close to the edge. Yeah. Now, why? He wanted to join King Crimson. Really? And he did. Really? And it broke my heart. 
And what did what was that like for you? Well, I thought we'd finish. You guys are at the crest of the wave We've just here. done this piece of music that meant we are now free to do and create what we want. We're just as good as King Crimson. Oh, yeah. But, but when you feel you're just as good as well, King different. Crimson, different. you're different. <laughs> Is that what he wanted was different? Oh, yeah. He just said, making the album was great, John, but I'm, I'm just not comfortable with Chris wanting this and me wanting that. And we're, See, I, I used to say, I always think the beat starts with the bass drum bass and everything evolves from there. Chris will say, no, the bass is the beat. <laughs> so there's that argument going on with Bill. And uh, basically, he went to Crimson and I actually saw their first gig. It was a band, they changed the name to Discipline. Or it was an album called Discipline with King Crimson. And it was remarkable to watch because he had Bill Bruford on stage with a little kit right at the front of the stage. The guitar player, I forgot his name for now, keyboard player, another guitar player, and this guy called Jamie Muir, who was like a percussionist. And he he looked like a wild man from Borneo. He had long black hair and he had this sort of black woolly shoulder thing. It made him look a, a very skinny ape. And what he would do, which was kind of interesting, he had sort of gongs in his hand and he'd bang them on the floor near microphones. So he had this band and this guy was jumping up against pieces of metal, large-scale pieces of metal to make the microphones on there. So there's incredible cacophony of energy going around the band, which is very tight, right? And I couldn't believe him. And uh, I went to Bill Bruford's wedding, and there was Jamie Muir. And I said, Jamie, what are you, what, what, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, wait there. And he went off and he came back with a book. And it was the autobiography of a yogi by Yogananda. And he just gave it to me. He didn't say anything else. And that changed my life. How so? It's a very clear understanding that all religions are the same and all rivers go to the same ocean and divine, divine energy is all around us all the time. This is after... Close to the edge. Close to the edge. We finished Close to the Edge. And Close to the Edge was, like to me, a very concept al album in itself. And you and I... You, you finish close to the edge, Bruford leaves, you go right. to his wedding, yeah. you meet Jamie, yeah. he gives you the autobiography of a yogi, yogi. And, 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 and who replaced Bruford at that, immediately at that time? Alan White. Alan White. So the next album after Close to the Edge is? Then we went into topographic world of craziness, you know. Cause, <laughs> Why do you say that? Because, well, it's, it's such a, uh, you know, what's the word? It's such a, an incredible moment in my life anyway. Why? Well, because, uh, you know, some joker in, in a newspaper said, close to the edge, yeah, the next thing they're going to do is the Bible to music. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. Yeah, let's do that. And, yeah. So I got the book and I was on a trip to Japan with the band, with Alan and everything, and Steve. And I read in the bottom of the book these four energies that create almost everything is the, the revealing of of everything, the the remembering of everything, the ancient and the ritual of life, you know, and I thought, that's it. <laughs> With the four movements, you know. So I, I sort of jumped on Steve, who was perfect for it, you know. And Why? Why? Well, because he's very receptive. And very he was quick. ready to go with you? Yeah, very quick to Did he read the book? Do you know, I don't know. Did you give all of them the book and say, this is required reading before we start the album? I just knew that if you're going to go anywhere, why don't you just jump in the deep end, you know? 
So when you get when you head toward tales, yeah. when you go to as you were saying this topographic madness, yeah, how are they changing the other ones in the band? Do you sense are they all on this journey and kind of getting into it with you and getting high with you, or are some of them sitting there looking at their watch, going, "How much more of this revealing <laughs> science of God?" And, and wait a second, is this cat really going to do the Bible next? Where are we going with this guy? Was it all kind of cool? Or? Well, most of the time, me, Steve, and Alan. And then Chris, on, on a level, we're very there. Rick was finding his own sort of pathway. He'd started writing some music about King Arthur or Henry VIII and stuff. And that, and that was sort of, you could sense when he came in, he was, he was thinking of other stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it was like, lovely guy, but still a young guy. He was still young. He was very young when he joined the band. And uh, so I, I was sort of um, headlong into this thing. Nobody can dissuade me at all. We're going there. That's all there is to it. It's going to be great. What is it about you that makes you so driven that way? I mean, you seem, you have an almost Ahab-like quest yeah. to synthesize what you're thinking, feeling, dreaming, yeah. believing into yeah. the music you're doing, regardless yeah. of the cost. Right. Do you know why? You're so self-examining, I would think. Why? Yeah, I'm just so grateful, I suppose. You just enjoy the journey? Yeah, I'm so thankful. There was a certain point in time... When I was uh, very lost on heavy drugs and stuff in the early mid of the sixties, have, have you talked about that publicly? Mm, I don't remember. Did you do that because it was for free and for fun and silly and funny, and then it got to be it makes makes you sick, kind of? And then how do you see it now in perspective? What's that? Your drug experience was a, was oh, was great. what? Well, <laughs> an unabashed endorsement. No, hey, Daily Mirror front page: Paul McCartney took acid. I said, that's it. I could that's, do this. There you go. That was my key. Yeah, he's the blame. He did it. So I'm <laughs> he led you down that path. Yes. The guy that sings Love Me Do. Yeah. Let's do that. Oh, my God. But all you need is love. All you know, you Krishna. Need is love. My God. So Tales comes out. Yeah. No, 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 no. Fragile is a hit. Yeah. And Close to the Edge is Big a hit. hit. Yeah. And you guys are really rolling yeah. and steaming. And what, and what is the tour situation like now? Your big stadiums, big places. Fairly. And you no, guys can fill a big no, room. No, not, not, you know. I think we did three nights at Madison Square and, you know... Did you enjoy that? Yeah. It was like a very dream sequence, sort of, looking back. You just remember it as being, wow, oh, I've got to get on stage. Gotta, i got to know what I'm doing. Don't worry about it. Look for the furthest people away and wave to them because you don't want to just play to the 20 people in the front row. You gotta play Sound to, like Mark you know, Farner. Yeah, you got to play. You got to play to everybody. You know, you got to. Mark Farner told us he tore his clothes off because he wanted the people in the back row to pay attention to him. Oh. So he ripped all his clothes off. Oh he downed it was like a little speedo, oh, you know, no. from Grand Funk Railroad. Yeah, but but when you also were doing this, and regardless of the size, but I'm assuming particularly where there's the size and the amount of money available to yeah, the yeah. to the promoters, yeah. does the stage tableau change? What's happening on stage? Lighting same, and graphics. Same. We were lucky, you see, because your music lends itself to something spectacular. Yeah. It's an interesting story that the first roadie we had was Mike Tate. And Mike Tate is now Tate Towers, one of the biggest uh, touring uh, companies in, in America, for sure. And um, we were doing a show up in north of England in a small pub, and uh, he was driving us, and uh, obviously a stripper would come on most nights in the pub but we were doing our show and there's all these little sort of switches on the side of the the wall and he was up and down with all colors on us like that with little mm -hmm. switches like that and i thought oh that's really cool so we drove down to london and uh, 
Mike said, I'm going back to Australia. I said, no, 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 you can't do that. You're going to be our lighting guy. I said, what do you mean? I said, what do you need? Because I just saw you he tonight. He didn't know it yet. No. So we, we, we got some money and he got he made these genie towers which came out of a box. He wound them up in these sure. good car you lights. cranked them. Car lights. Wow. And he had a little little thing going. And but you didn't have any screens and images? No, and... that came topographic time. We started projection. We were first... first Band what, to use what the, laser. What, and what did the band, what did the other bandmates feel about you bringing that they element onto the they stage? They didn't really talk to me about so much about it. it was just I, th- I think Roger Dean had done the artwork. Him and his brother <sighs> started doing the staging, and the best staging that they did for us was the Relayer tour, Gates of Delirium, with a three-headed sort of thingy. It's incredible. How did you meet Roger Dean? Tell people how did you meet him? I don't know. Uh, I think it was <laughs> Steve said oh, he was no, in no. the other stall next no, to Ahmed no. Erdogan. He right. came out of the no, stall and no, flushed no. the toilet. Yes, right. No, I'd seen this uh, album cover, a band called Ossibisa in London, and it was just fantastic. And I looked at Von Roger Dean, and Steve said, "I think I know somebody who knows him." I said, "Well, get him, get him to come over." You know, in Fragile, we were working on Fragile, and uh, I just said, "Roger, how are you? We all met, and I just put, you know, make something very fragile on the album cover." So he came back with this little world, and I said, that's perfect, you know. And from then on, you know, we just kept working with him. So he would be involved in staging. Mike Tate was the lighting guy, and that was the way we worked in the 70s. Explain to me, because I don't understand this either. I really don't, and I'm always fascinated by this. When you're exploring your music, it's so dynamic and it's so spiritual and rock at the same time. It, it's everything. Mm. It's jazz. Mm. I mean, it's, it's its own uh, planet, if right. you will. I mean, I really believe that. Right. But at any point, do you feel that the vocals need, uh, does it ever cross your mind, like, we got to get a girl in here? Is there ever a discussion of a woman joining the band? Or does that never come no, up? Do we no. need a feminine voice? No. Never. The music is always put through the prism of John's the singer. Yeah. Got it. And you get into that zone of, well, I'm writing the lyrics as well. Because I like writing lyrics, and you do. I, and me and Steve would write lyrics with each other, and me and Chris would write lyrics with each other. But I just tend to write a lot, and think a lot, and drive a lot. And I come on up the mountain, people, come on! Yeah, we got to do this. Because who else is going to help us? Who else is going to help? Nobody else is going to help us. Because we're going this way, and we went on that journey, and it went right through the seventies to that point where it couldn't go any further. Because the, the the house of cards fell down. Because, We're going to talk about that in a minute. But yeah. when you get to when you when topographic comes out, yeah, it was. <clears throat> how does that do? Well, it's 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 well documented that it was heavily criticised and very confused atmosphere around it because Rick hated it. He 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 hated that it was too much for him because he was already half into something else, I yeah. think. He I wanted think, to be somewhere else. I think so, yeah. And, and when he said he hated it, he was on well, the record at the time or while you were yeah, making he, it? Yeah, he said it's too, it's too much. It's too much music for people. It's too much music for them. And of course, I was... What did he mean by too much music? It was like you're trying to make people eat a whole cake at once. Right. You should put it in pieces. Right. That was the his, pieces were too long. It was, the structure of the album was, was not it right. Was four 20-minute pieces. Because that's all you could fit on right. an album. Right, that's what you can fit on an album. I can just see you. I can see you waking. I have this image of you waking up on, in bed and you pick up the phone. You're like, how many, how many minutes fit on an album again? Is it eighty? Great. I've got four twenty-minute verse songs, pieces, the revealing, the remembering, ritual, ancient, and you just think there's, there's got to be a meaning to it. He stopped believing in in, in the structure he, of, yeah. of Yes's music. Yeah, he just felt 
that it, it wasn't going to work, and a lot of people agree with that. And Was he gone after typographic? Yeah. And, How'd you um, feel about that? I was sort of beaten up. Because I, in terms of musicianship, you'll, you you could never find anybody who was as equal no. again. He's one of the greatest keyboardists yeah, in history. Ridiculous, yeah. yeah. You, you know, you go through that uh, feeling like, I, I think I went, I went, I made, I made the wrong move. <laughs> I went down the wrong road. I should have thought, because all, all the time we were doing uh, Close to the Edge, you know, why are you doing Close to the Edge? Why don't you do another roundabout? What's the matter with you? Yeah. You want to make, you can, we can make so much money now. Yeah, come on. Just want another one, another one, another I said, yeah. no, I'm not, I'm not interested. Why don't you do, I want, to, I want to hold your hand. Oh, right, yeah. Do your version they of that. Do a spiritual version of that. They wanted me to sing, um, for the night has a thousand eyes. <laughs> Remember that one? For the night has a thousand eyes and a thousand <laughs> eyes. Bobby V. I said, <laughs> you want me to do that? Don't, please, don't tell me. Now, when was Yes songs recorded in between which... I think it was just after Fragile. I think you did, because Fragile are close to the Yes songs topographic. You got it. But the idea is that uh, everybody, you know, Steve and Alan and Chris put so much into topographic, you know, and it was, it was, it was magic to perform and to hold an audience for 20 minutes. You can hear a pin drop every now, you know, every... It's amazing. How were the audiences when you performed that live? It was amazing because our, our encore was close to the edge. <laughs> so it was like we were living this new new world of music, which is kind of crazy thinking. But I felt we'd found this big cloud that we could sail around the world on, you know, and we were playing this music that was, you know, and then as time went along, you realized that one part of the puzzle Rick, he wasn't enjoying it, and it sounded like he wasn't enjoying it. And he was caught once with, uh, um, what was it, some Indian food <laughs> underneath his keyboard. <laughs> he was doing a show, and he had some Indian curry <laughs> underneath his keyboard. Oh my God. So that, that broke the back. But, but help me with this, because the thing yeah. I've learned from people who are these immensely successful, and people are mm. just eating your music up mm. alive, mm. you know, they mm. love it. Mm. It's so fresh and so new and mm. so brilliant. And you guys are going along, and then one cylinder in the engine decides to pop, pop out. Yeah. What are the other guys, how do they feel? Well, we've got to get a new guitar, a keyboard player. <laughs> <laughs> Where's a new keyboard player? That was the first, you know, I thought, Good, here's the silliest story ever. I started thinking, and I just uh, heard about this guy called Vangelis Papatanasu, who lived in Paris. And I'd seen a photograph of him using laser beams. So we got laser beams. And I went to meet Vangelis. And uh, I loved his first album. It's called Creation Dumont. I used to play it before ES show. So when audiences are coming in, they're hearing this cosmic music by Vangelis. You know? So um, I won't tell you the, 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 the story of meeting him and everything, but he nearly joined the band. I invited him to London to join the band as soon as Rick went. Well, why don't you want to tell the story of meeting him? Why? Well... It's silly. You know, it's like... Uh, well, tell it. Okay, so I, I, I get to Paris. I find his phone number. I've got his number. I call him up. Hello? Hello. Vangelis? <laughs> yes. Oh, my name's John Anderson. I sing in a band called Yes. What's Yes? I don't know Yes. It's a band. You know, a band. I'm a singer. Oh, oh, John. J Johnny. Oh, come over. So I went over to his apartment, right? And I opened the door, and uh, he's standing there, tall guy with a long sort of kaftan, you know, big beard and everything. And he has a big bow and arrow over his shoulder, like a long bow, you know. Hey, Johnny, come give me a hug, you know. So, um... So he's in the middle of an archery session, yes, and... Yes, he said he had a very long hallway 
all the way down the bottom of the hallway was a um, target. A target. He's shooting. And he says, "Watch this, John." And he takes a bow and arrow, and it went right through the window <laughs> <laughs> and hit the postman. Hey. I just laughed because it was just so beautiful. And I went around his, his house with cassettes everywhere. Oh, listen to this. I have this music. Listen to this. And then he started playing with his big fat fingers, the most gorgeous music I'd ever heard. When you said he almost joined the band, what was that about? Well, I asked him to come over to England and uh, join the band. And Steve and Chris thought I was crazy. Who is this guy? You know, I said, let's try it. He's going to shoot arrows at us. <laughs> bloody so, crazy. Yeah, I know. So we, 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 we started rehearsing and Steve's got his guitar tuning up and absentmindedly Vangeli says, hey, you know, electric guitar, not a real instrument, you know. Because so, he was one of those crazy Greek people. <laughs> I said, we're trying to make friends here, Vangelis. You know. Yeah, trying to fit in. It didn't work, so. He was gone. And, and then I, I became friends with Vangelis, of course. How do you find your next keyboardist? Where? So Patrick Moraz came along to my, my house and started playing the piano. He was brilliant. He was in London. He's from Switzerland. Was he in another band? He was in a band called Refugee. But uh, he wanted to join the band. And as uh, soon as he played the piano, I said, you're, you're, you're good. You're very good. And uh, I was overjoyed that we'd found somebody equally as uh, exciting and, and possibly talented as Rick. So we started rehearsing and we did the Re Relayer album. One song we did was called Gates of Delirium, which is a long-form piece of music. And uh, it was the first one that I actually, strangely enough, I've been playing the piano a lot. I took to the band, me playing it. And I went through it. With, I'd, I'd, I'd learned four parts, you know. And if I, I can't believe that he understood me because that was terrible. That was terrible. So Moraz did that album, Relayer. Yeah, he did Relayer. Chris was on top of that. Gates of Delirium was fantastic to perform. It was like this wild, warlike tendency. Why, why humans or why we're all into war? And Now, when you say the House of Cards falls, what happens if the Relayer comes out? Are there more changes and it, does it start it, to blow yeah, apart? It get, no, it gets, a, it gets a bit strange because... Um, Pat, Patrick, bless him, starts to wander off and finds himself in Brazil and uh, he got married and things like that and we lost contact and we decided... Patrick Moraes. Pat Moraes, yeah, we decided we wanted to start recording and uh, some somebody said, well, why don't we record with the Queen have been recording in Montreux? Uh, they've got a studio there, it's lovely there in Switzerland and we, we wanted to pay taxes that year and all that kind of crap. And uh, so we all go to Switzerland, and Montreux is beautiful, and we, you know, I'm there, and uh, we're writing, and dust was gathering on his keyboards. It's that kind of strange feeling. Where is he? And uh, so we carried on rehearsing ideas and stuff, and uh, you know, I I actually uh, bumped into uh, Steve Howe at a holiday inn near Detroit about four months earlier. I'd, I'd gone past his room and the smoke coming out from under the door and he was playing this riff. Sort of thing. And I thought, that's kind of nice. And I said, hi, Steve. Hi, John. I went to have breakfast. I came back. He's still playing it. I said, why don't you change key? 
So I walked in and sang the, the main line of Awaken, which is the first verse or the kind of thing. And then I said, Steve, how many chords can you play without repeating? And he started playing all these chords. I said, keep playing them and repeat for... Da, 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 da. Workings of man set to ply out historical life, re-regaining the flower of the fruit of his tree. And he just popped out. And I was actually in that space of saying, let's just do that. That'll be the second stanza. And then there'll be another stanza. And then I'm going to do a harp thing. And Steve said, why? Because <laughs> I'm playing the harp every day. I'm on tour, which I did, you know. But uh, that was great, making that album. And The Waken is so beautiful to create and perform. And we'd still perform it just now. What's music in your life that's not your music? Are you, do you listen to a lot of music? Sibelius. I know, it's terrible. No. What's your favorite? Oh, I just listened to the seventh three times yesterday yeah. before I came here. I was driving around shopping. The I love the fourth for some reason. Oh, God, yeah. I love the real sonorous and moody yeah, very and dark. dark. Well, yeah, he, he was the Russia, Russians were on top of them. Mm. Yeah. He was pissed, you know. So, so classical is big in your life. Well, I think, yeah. I think Jazz? Was, well, I was very big into Rassan Roland Kirk. I thought he was just amazing. What about contemporary music now? Are you, do you, well, there's always a great song here and there. Every, every week another song pops. Oh, my God, yeah. And there's a lot of great music out there that most people are not going to hear on radio anyway. So the only way you can do it and hear music is going like, um, somebody sent me a link and it was this band doing an Ed Sheeran song using pipes and things on a, on a, on a table. And it was the most glorious work of art, these people singing his song, but doing these kind of spoons and, and singing it in beautiful harmony. And a very famous band, actually. Five million people watch that. There are people, I mean, I hope this comes out the right way. There are people who write music. I'm not saying this with any judgment of them. And the music is pretty simple. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's rock music and, yeah. it's, and it's exciting yeah. it's, and, 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 and it's I love you and you don't love me and why yeah. don't you love me? Yeah. And your music is very nuggety and very dense and very rich. And I'm assuming that the making of that music would probably set you up for even a worse case of what people suffer in terms of their personal lives. And did you find that the music that you were writing and the work you were doing was so intense that it negatively impacted your personal life? No. And what didn't? I don't you know. Weren't you weren't married to, to your music. Totally. Right. So you were polygamous. You were married to your wife and your music. Totally. <laughs> That's, okay. And now my, I'm, my second wife, Jane, we've been together 25 years, right. and it's amazing. It's, she is unbelievable. You didn't find that, that, that to be a challenge to balance your home life and your work it was, life? It was obviously, you know, you're growing up and you're getting older and you're trusting accountants to take care of your finances and things like that. And they keep saying, you've got to buy more stuff. You've got to buy more stuff because there's so much money and you've got to buy more stuff. And you think... Why? What, you know, I'm not right. interested in stuff, to be honest. Right. I don't come from that. I come from a very um, simple simple background from Accrington. I used, to be, uh, I used to be the ball boy for Accrington Stanley, one of the first teams in the first league that ever was soccer, football. Mm -hmm. You know, my core values are very, very simple, very clear that I can't believe I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm so grateful to be here speaking with you because I've seen you work and I know you're fucking great. Oh, thank you. And it's just the idea that I can't wait until tomorrow. 
because I know the great music is coming. I know some great stuff is happening. When you perform now, do you need to adjust the key and the way you sing? Yeah. You, you, do, you do. Down a tone or half a tone. You're down half a tone. Hey, you know, I listen to my stuff. I was, on, I was singing on helium half of it. Uh, no, no, no. It's, but it's so... I didn't realize. It's, it's incredible. When you look back on the amazing, amazing work you did and the amazing music you made and... I thank so you. For, I thank you. But when you look back, was there anything you would have done differently? No. No. I can't believe where I am now. You know, we're just going to go into the Hall of Fame. Well, when you when people was that hear something it. that you wanted? Does that mean no, something to you? No. It was something to do with this manager twenty years ago. Who said, "I'm going to get you in the Hall of Fame." I said, "I don't care. It'll happen when it happens." Right. And that's my mantra. Things will happen when they happen. Don't tell me I'm going to be in the Hall of Fame. All my heroes are there. There's no, <laughs> and, there's, and there's nothing you would do differently. I can't know. I can't think. It's hard to think about that. There's obviously things I I should have done differently. In an interview last August with Classic Rock, Anderson said, quote, For me, Yes was about the adventure of music not making a living. The adventure itself will create great things, unquote. Indeed, it has. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. If you're addicted to love, get ready to binge your heart out. Stream exclusive originals plus the entire 90-day universe for just $4.99. Discovery Plus is the streaming home of relationships, plus so much more. Start your free trial. In 2019, my friend Alex died by suicide. He sent goodbye emails to his loved ones, and when I opened mine, I was so horrified, I barely noticed a link he'd included near the end. Oh, Alex had written, here's Alice recordings. Later, I went back to the link where Alex, a Britney Spears superfan, had shared clips of conversations with someone he'd befriended online. Someone calling herself Alice. Someone who happens to sound a lot like Britney herself. Who was this Alice, really? And could she help me understand why my friend was gone? I'm Chris Stedman, host of Unread, a show about looking for answers in the digital breadcrumbs people leave behind. Where would the trail Alex left lead me? Join me as I go down the rabbit hole on Unread, available now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.